Praise the Lord today, and this is Pastor Adams, President and Founder of Truth Matters Ministries here in Atlanta, Georgia. Thank you once again for blessing us and giving us the privilege to share and teach around the Word of God. And today we're going to be starting an episode entitled, Women Pastors. Should Women Be Pastors Within the Christian Church? And as our custom, before we get into our teaching today, we want to pause and we want to pray. Father God, we thank you once again for your amazing grace. We give your name praise today because we know that you care. We thank you, Lord God, that you are the lifter of our heads, the savior of our souls. You are he who regenerates our hearts and our minds. We thank you today, Lord God, that you went to Calvary's cross and you saved us. You delivered us. You atoned for our transgressions. You bore and you carried our griefs our sins and our iniquities and your blood washed us clean. Thank you, Lord, for taking our penalty on our behalf, the righteous for the unrighteous, the guiltless for the guilty. We give your name praise. Let someone be blessed today. Let there be inspiration and illumination. Let men and women realize and learn and grow that they might know how to appropriate and to align themselves to your word concerning ministry in the church. And our minds are so thoughtful of the words that were spoken by Blaise Pascal. Blaise Pascal says that truth is so obscure in these days and times. He said that falsehoods are so well established. He said, unless we love the truth, he says we can't even know it. And also we're mindful of the words that were spoken by Adam Schiff, who gave his final remarks in the Donald Trump impeachment hearings, he said, right matters, truth matters, and without truth, he says we're lost. <clears throat> so today we're going to get into our, our teaching, and today in this Truth Matters podcast, we're going to examine the much debated and hotly contested topic of women in ministry, and more specifically, the question is going to be answered, should women be pastors in the Christian church today? See, our experience reveals that there are evolutions that have transpired in so many social genres throughout history. <clears throat> there have been social transformations such as fascist governments. They transitioned to liberal governments. There have been upheavals for colonization to totally independent societies. We've seen struggles for civil and human rights across the world in countless nations and republics. When you think about it, here in America, women were not even allowed to vote or possess equal rights until 1920, which is just a short 100 years ago. When we peruse the social and corporate landscape of the world, we see so many nations and cultures that really discriminate and place women in a subservient position in so many societies. I think it's important that we look at the data that has been supplied by these international organizations. The OECD has a deep commitment to gender equality. Along with that, the empowerment of women. And the Social Institutes and Gender Index, or the SIGI, is a shining example of this. <clears throat> what they said was, they're gonna continue working together and deepening the partnership between the United Nations Women and the OECD, despite promising progress in some areas, they found that discrimination against women still persists around the globe. 
Carlos Alvarez, who was a deputy director of the OECD and Development Center while presenting the index at the UN Women's Headquarter earlier <clears throat> this year, <clears throat> excuse me, he says legal reforms, economic incentives, and community mobilization are critical to rectifying this social discrimination and economic injustice against women. We today in Truth Matters Ministries think it's important that we really look at some of these details. The SIGI clearly identified that countries with higher levels of discrimination against women are also performing more poorly on a range of developmental indicators. Some of them include employment, female labor, forced participation, secondary school enrollment for girls, and children maternal mortality rates are affected by discrimination. Certain forms of discrimination against women remain widespread throughout the world. The survey also found out that out of 121 countries that were covered by the SIGI investigation, 86 have discriminatory inheritance practices or laws. On average across these countries, around half of the women, they actually believe that domestic violence is justified against them in certain circumstances. I found that very interesting. In some countries like Niger and Mali, over half of the girls between 15 and 19 are married. Such an environment is a massive obstacle for women to get an education and to contribute to their own well-being and their country's progress. <clears throat> the countries with the highest levels of discrimination among those ranked in the SIGI were Africa and the Middle East. Listen to these averages. On average, the rate of early marriage has decreased to 17%. The number of countries with specific legislation to combat domestic violence has more than doubled. So we see that there are some positive trends as it relates to women equality around the world. 23 out of the 35 countries where missing women were identified. They considered it a concern that has improved. 29 countries have quotas to promote women's political participation at both national and subnational levels. <clears throat> Women's reproductive autonomy is still limited. On average, one in five women still have no access to family planning. And even despite the new laws, attitudes that are perpetuating violence against women still persist, with 50% of women themselves believing that domestic violence is justified. On average, women only hold 15% of the existing land titles in those countries where data is available. So when the SIGI measured the underlying discrimination against women, they used the 14 indicators, including early marriage, gender-based violence, women's property rights, while other gender inequality measures focus on outcomes such as gender gaps in employment, education, discriminatory social institutions such as formal and informal laws, social norms and practices that drive unequal outcomes for women and for girls. And we at Truth Matters have discovered that here in America, we are so much more inclusive of women's rights and equality than most cultures. However, we are still socially a male-dominated nation. And more specifically, we are a white male-dominated society. Here in America, women only earn 75% of the income compared to men. Women hold very few corporate CEO positions, 
with only 6.4% actually are leading Fortune 500 companies. I think that is terrible. Only about 13% of military generals are women. Only 20% of women are mayors in America's major cities. Only 12% of women comprise our country's governors. And only 36% of attorneys are women in America. When it comes down to judges in America, only 33% are women. America only has 33% of the Senate and House of Representatives that are women. Isn't that crazy when you really think about women comprise 51% of our nation's population? And finally, after 244 years as a nation, we've never had a woman president. See, there are some socially uncomfortable facts concerning the discrimination and inequality relating to women. Social discrimination should be banned and punished without question. We here at Truth Matters Ministries hold firm to biblical tenets concerning equal opportunity and justice for all people regardless of their gender, race, creed, or color. Now, as we delve deeper into women in ministry... It is crucial that we at Truth Matters make a distinction between social equality and biblical authority. And we're going to definitely enlarge on this contrast here very shortly. So with the struggle to be equal, we find that many women have spread their wings and they've actually led corporations, they've led military units, they've ascended to the very top echelon of so many different components and compartments of our country and world. They're leading law firms and they've become police chiefs and governors, senators. We've even seen women becoming NBA coaches and NBA and NFL officials. We even have recently as 2016 presidential female candidates. All of those things are fantastic. We see so many historically male social roles being filled with and facilitated by women. Along with that, we have seen many women move into major roles in religious circles. There are denominations that are currently being led by women. There are popular and internationally known women pastors, such as the very famous Paula White, who has been selected by President Trump as his spiritual advisor. We have women personalities such as Juanita Bynum, who was thrust into fame by her affiliation with T.D. Jakes and her infamous book called No More Sheets in the early 2000s. And then there is the late Ida Robinson, who was a Pentecostal pastor, and she became very prominent, especially being an African-American and leading a denomination. Then we also have historical figures like the late Amy Simple McPherson and Catherine Coleman and Mary Baker Eddy and Ellen G. White, who have had so much influence and even in Christian science circles. And even today, we have pastors here in Atlanta. Bernice King is a leading pastor. Martin Luther King's daughter is a leading female pastor here in Atlanta. And we have very famous former gospel singers who are now pastors. Kim Burrell is a very famous pastor. Shirley Caesar is a very famous pastor in Durham, North Carolina. And then we have probably the most popular 
widely seen uh, female pastor, and that is Joyce Meyer. These women are leading entire denominations and are leading churches. They're preaching to millions on television. They're preaching on radio and so many different social medias. Have they, just as their counterparts in corporate and so many other social genres, just burst through the barrier of discrimination into the church as well? Is that something that is just a brand new area of equality? Have they finally arrived and are showing a new way to equality in the church of Jesus Christ as a way of continuing the social liberation within the confines of the social and the visible church of our Lord Jesus Christ? Is that what these women pastors are doing? Should we define them as just being bold and courageous women who are breaking spiritual barriers? Or are they in violation of inviolable principles and unmovable biblical pillars? Our question is, can women be pastors? Can they teach the word of God? Are they authorized to evangelize or act as missionaries? What's the answer? What does the Bible say concerning these questions and the roles of women in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ? See, we at Truth Matters must start by stating that although the epistles do not specifically name women evangelists, many New Testament women did this work. That is undeniable. Think of the prophetess Anna in Luke 2 and 36 through 38. She was the very first person to proclaim Jesus as Israel's promised redeemer. Luke tells us that she lived in perpetual widowhood in Jerusalem temple and that after she saw the infant Jesus at the dedication, she gave thanks likewise to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who look for his redemption in Israel, according to Luke 38. The woman in Samaria brought her entire city to Christ. How did she do it? She did it by her testimony. Take a look at John 4, 28 through 42. She told the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Isn't this the Messiah? Verse 39 tells us many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the woman's word who testified. He told me everything I ever did. This woman not only testified of her own experience, she also urged the townspeople to meet Jesus for themselves. They did so. And as a result, many more believed because of his own word and said to the woman, now we believe not because of your word, because we have heard him ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Messiah, the Savior of the world. See, this is evangelism in its most successful perspective and demonstration, bringing about the conversion of a city as people come to a firsthand experience of personal faith in Jesus Christ. Glory to God. After his resurrection triumph, Jesus appeared to who? The men know. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary Salome, and other women with them and personally directed them to proclaim his resurrection to the rest of the men disciples. 
Significantly, all four of the Gospels record this. The woman's commission was a double one, as angels also appeared to them with the same message and directive. Every person who has ever heard the good news that Jesus was risen from the dead early on Easter Sunday morning heard it from the testimony of women. Yet sadly, the testimony of the women was not believed at first. Jesus had to appear personally to the men whom he upbraided for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he was risen, according to Mark 16 and 14. See, Jesus regarded the women's message to the men as his own message to them, according to Matthew 28 and 7, where he says, Lo, I have told you. And so they later regarded it, according to verse 6, Jesus rebuked the men, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? Note that Peter and John were both at the tomb of Jesus early at the resurrection morning, but he did not appear to them then. Rather, the Lord waited for Mary Magdalene to reveal himself alive to one who would believe. He could have appeared to these men and sent them to preach first, had he chosen to do it that way. But he knew their hearts were not right. So on this occasion, he preferred to show himself to Mary and the other women. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself mighty and big on behalf of the ones whose heart is perfect toward him, according to 2 Chronicles 16 and 9. God does not judge by outward appearance, but he looks on the heart. See, Jesus' great commission in Matthew 28 and 18, he said to go preach the gospel and make disciples throughout the whole world. It was given to the entire church, both male and female. See, Luke 24 and 33 through 53 shows that the commission and the opening of their minds to understand the scriptures were given to the whole company of believers, not just the 11 disciples. It was for the purpose of evangelism that Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to empower the whole company of believers who were waiting as directed in the upper room at Jerusalem. When you really look at the book of Acts, it testifies that at Pentecost, God's power was given both to men and to women for the purpose of bringing unbelievers to salvation. Read it in Acts 1 and 14. See, at a later time, when you start looking at Acts 4 verse 31, it tells us that the Holy Spirit fell on them all and they all spoke the word of God with boldness. This was not limited to just men. After Pentecost, the saints gathered and preached and healed and publicly in Solomon's portico. They did all those things publicly, an area which was behind the eastern side of Jerusalem temple that was open to Gentiles and women, according to Acts 5, 12 through 14. So as we have seen from our study of prophets, biblical prophecy is not limited to foretelling just future events, but prophecy also consists mainly of proclaiming the praises of God and calling people to repentance and to have faith in Jesus Christ. That is what the center, that's what they call the mete of the gospel. This is what the spirit-filled men and women did together that 
on that first Pentecost. And that is what the spirit-filled Christians, both men and women, should still be doing today. St. Paul named several women as his fellow workers in the gospel in Romans 16, verse 3 through 9. He also calls them those who helped Paul in spreading the gospel. Paul used this term not only for Timothy in Romans 16 and 21, or Aphroditus in Philippians 2.25, or Clement in Philippians 4 and 3, or Philemon, Mark and Luke in Philemon 24, but also for Priscilla in Romans 16 and 3, in Eudoia, in Synthakith, in Philippians 4 and 2 and 3. Other women Paul commends for their labor in the Lord were Mary, Persis, Triathena, and Tryphosa in Romans 16 and 6 and 12. So when you begin to look at scripture, these are some very important things to discover. I have another question today. What does the Bible have to say about women missionaries and evangelists? It is important to note that the Bible nowhere restricts women from sharing the gospel. The exhortation to evangelize is directed toward all followers of Jesus Christ. The restriction in 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12 is in regards to church shepherding, teaching and exercising authority or having a role that is superior over men. But it does not apply to evangelism. No woman should ever feel biblically restricted from sharing the gospel with a man. Further, the Bible describes women serving in many roles that are crucial in missionary work. Well, what are some of them, Pastor Adams? Well, he said women are encouraged to teach other women in Titus 2, verse 3 through 5. Women are to be dedicated to prayer in 1 Corinthians 11 and 5. He also exhorted women to exercise the fruit of the spirits in Galatians 5 and 22 and the gifts of the spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. See, the vast majority of missionary work is undeniably open to women. But the question arises, should women do anything outside of their missionary role in which they should serve? If at all possible, women missionaries should not serve as pastors or shepherds over men. Well, are there any exceptions? Well, there is an instance where there is no man that's willing is able to take a leadership position. Perhaps then we should exercise what is called the the Deborah principle, which is applicable in Judges 4, Deborah encouraged Barak to take leadership of Israel's armies, but he was unwilling. Therefore, Deborah took the leadership role. If on a mission field, there is no qualified man to shepherd new believers, it does not seem God would desire these new believers to remain undiscipled until a man arrives. But a woman serving a shepherding role in an instance like this should do everything she can to quickly build and develop male leadership to take over the shepherding once men are in the church. I think it's noteworthy to remember that though this would be an extremely rare exception, 
Further, it is not explicitly biblical, but, but rather it's speculative. In no sense with this exception, even if it was definitively biblical, disprove the clear message of 1 Timothy 1, the second chapter, verses 11 and 12. And we're at this Truth Matters podcast. We're going to pause here and we're going to complete our teaching and our examination of should women be pastors in the church of Jesus Christ in our next podcast. And I believe that we should never lose sight of the wonderful, dynamic, powerful contribution that women have made in the church, are making in the church, and that God has ordained them to contribute to the church and to the ministry of Jesus Christ. And we're going to continue and summarize this examination and study in our next podcast. And we want you to continue to pray for us that we will continue to be vigilant and that we will be bold and we will speak the truth uncompromisingly. In Jesus' name, amen.